Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX for 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I have a ukulele. Yeah, you sure do. Eric made us uh, a ukulele and sent it to the Box of Oddities. He made it out of a cigar box, like a cedar cigar box. It is beautiful. You may have seen it on social media. Yeah, it's apparently what he does, and he does it well. And uh, if you want to see it and you have not checked it out on social media, please do. And maybe... uh, Maybe he can make one for you. It's gorgeous. Does a great job. And I'm learning how to play ukulele. I've been very much enjoying this experience. Here we go. The first ukulele song anybody should learn, of course, is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Mm -hmm. So we've had a request for a ukulele uh, concert (laughs) on the social media. So here you go. It's a very, uh, very short concert. Somewhere Over the Rainbow. How I've learned it so far. Here we go. Ready. G7's a hard chord. You are the most talented man in the world. Yeah. No one has ever been more talented than you. I'm not done. Oh, I'm sorry. It sounds like you're done. Yeah, I'm done. (laughs) Totally done. I love it. Thanks, Eric. It's a beautiful, beautiful craft that you have there, my good man. Other than that, I've been spending my day snaking out a sewer line at a rental property that we own. So, yeah, that's been fun. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait to get home and talk with the freaks. I've got something for you today. Are you ready? Ready. All right, here we go. I'm going to talk about Pompeii. <gasps> about the museum? 
No, about Pompeii being buried by a volcano. Oh, just in general? In general. Oh, okay. But I found out some interesting stuff about this, and I've always been very interested in archaeology, and and especially cities like Pompeii or Troy or things that have been, they're ancient and they've been buried for, you know, millennia and then dug up again. Here we go. Just to give you a brief summary of Pompeii, for those of you just joining us, uh, Pompeii, according to Wikipedia, was an ancient Roman city located in the uh, modern commune of Pompeii near Naples in Italy, of course. Pompeii and many villas in the surrounding area were buried under three to six meters, 13 to 20 feet of volcanic ash and pumice in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. I didn't realize it was that many feet of yeah. ash. In AD 79. In fact, after the uh, the initial disaster, people in the area knew where they, you know, they could, they could coordinate where they were, even though it was buried because the tops of tall buildings still stuck out of the lava and ash. Oh, wow. And so they actually tunneled down into it to retrieve some of their belongings or, you know, other people's valuables. Years later, well, not just years, but centuries later, when they were excavating, they would actually find markings inside of various houses that earlier scavengers had uh, dug into. And and they would just, it would just say house dug. Oh, so don't bother going in here. Don't bother. No. Okay. Wow. The city was largely preserved under ash. The uh, excavated city offers a very unique snapshot of Roman life because it's frozen in that moment. Right. I had read, and it's one of those things that makes me um, unreasonably sad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's true. Such is my life. Yeah. Um, it, about how you could see how there were people who are baking bread, yeah. and loaves of bread could yep. still be found in bakeries. Sure. And, you know, it's just, and it's just that it's that very human, very personal thing that connects you, and it just. Oh, it absolutely is. It just makes me do that thing where I'm like, I've made bread before. And I didn't get buried under volcanic ash. I'm so lucky. Everyday life really was frozen in time when Vesuvius erupted and buried Pompeii. Now, Pompeii was a wealthy town. It had many fine public buildings and luxurious private houses with lavish decorations and furnishings. A lot of murals that survived and... In some cases, they look as fresh as the day they were painted. I don't even understand how that's possible. It's amazing. A lot of things survived in the ash. According to uh, Wikipedia, again, the people in the buildings of Pompeii were covered with uh, up to 12 different layers of tephra. In total, 25 meters or 82 feet deep, which rained down for six hours. Wow. So you're just, you know, you're going to the baker's shop one morning mm-hmm. in 79 AD and Vesuvius, uh, it's over there in the distance and, you know, sure, there's smoke coming up, but that happens quite a bit. Sure. Then all of the sudden. All of the sudden. Kablam. There are actually first-hand accounts that have been written and we have. Pliny the Younger provided one of them. Now, he was across the Bay of Naples. And he did write this 25 years after the event. His uncle, Pliny the Elder, who he had a very close relationship with, died while attempting to rescue stranded victims. Aww. 
He was the admiral of a fleet, and Pliny the Elder had ordered the ships of the Imperial Navy stationed in his town across the bay to cross the bay to assist evacuation attempts. Volcanologists have recognized the importance of Pliny the Younger's account of the eruption by calling similar events Plinian. Oh, okay. It was long thought that the eruption was in August of 79 AD, but Pliny's account puts the date as the 23rd of November. And when excavating the city, the last date that they could find written before the city was buried was October 17th of 79 AD. So it was between October and November. It was somewhere in there. So I mentioned the the grave robbers basically is what they were. They would come into the city after it was buried and they would locate precious materials from buildings based on the tops of the buildings that were still sticking out of the ash and lava. They would dig down. They would uh, rob the houses or the temples. They left traces of their passage. And again, you know, like I said, oftentimes they would just write house dug on the inside of the wall so you wouldn't waste your time there. And then over the following centuries, its name and location were forgotten. Oh. For centuries and centuries, it was almost like a myth. Really? The next known date that any part was unearthed was in uh, 1592. So. Wow. 1,500 years later, here are some of the things that have been found. You mentioned bread. I was, often do. <laughs> when this a bakery was excavated in Pompeii, 81 loaves of bread were found in the oven. Still in the oven. It's amazing to see food preserved for thousands of years. Right. Those cannolis that we got for Thanksgiving, I had to throw away. <laughs> They didn't last a day, did they? No. And they were bakery fresh. Yeah. They were fresh baked goods. But the bread, still in the ovens. Amazing. This is weird. They found a butchered uh, giraffe bone. Uh, oh. I, I guess it was at the scene of a, a restaurant that had been buried. Uh, some very unexpected cuisine. That's something we learned was that they ate, in some cases, giraffe. Okay. That seems That's like weird. a... Yeah. Master-slave armbands. Sexual relationships between masters and slaves were common in ancient Rome. According to Ranker, evidence of this was uncovered uh, in Pompeii. Researchers discovered a gold band inscribed with the words, from the master to the slave. This was likely a gift given from the master to show appreciation for intimate slave-master relationships. Couldn't that just be like a... BDSM kind of relationship, like I guess masters and slaves. You know, I'm just saying. Sure, could, why not? Could have been. They found dozens of snack bars. Oh. 150 of them actually, and I'm looking at a picture of one of them that's been excavated, and it looks like a Panera bread. Oh, snack bar. Like a cafe. Yes. I thought you were saying like a kind bar, or no, like a Nutrigrain bar. No, look at this picture. You're, look. I'm st- come here. Come, come over to my side. Look at this. It's like they could have soups in those cauldrons. Okay. It, I thought you were saying they found 150 Nutrigrain bars. No, that would be silly. Although they, they did find the bread, so I guess certainly that would be possible. <laughs> okay. 
these snack bars were used. Cafes, yes. Cafes were used by impoverished families who couldn't cook at home. So it wasn't like, you know, hey, let's go out to eat because oh, like we, we have extra money. Let's go out to eat because we're impoverished. Yeah. Got it. So they took care of their own, which was kind of cool. They also found beware of dog signs. Yes. Guard dogs were uh, very popular during this time. Archaeologists found mosaics with pictures of guard dogs near the homes with the words Cave Canum written on signs, which roughly means beware of dog. When the explosion occurred, citizens grabbed whatever they, they could and they ran. They fled for their lives. Um, they found a lot of um, skeletal remains still clutching bags of their prized possessions. Mm. The body of a man found in an alleyway, alleyway was holding a sack containing jewelry, coins, and the keys to his house. Aww. He grabbed his keys in, he wa- in his wallet and he ran, just like we would. I don't think I would if like if a volcano was coming at me mm-hmm. like um, which the way that I just said that I pictured it like with little tiny legs just underneath it like waddling toward you. I don't think I'd be grabbing bags full of stuff. I think I'd tootle my ass right out of there. Your ass needs to be tootled. Yeah. Immediately. Sans sex. <laughs> Another thing they've discovered, of course, and we've touched on this before. Graffiti, perfectly preserved on the walls. You know, not only were there beautifully preserved mosaics and uh, murals, but beautifully preserved foul language. Yeah. And uh, all sorts of um, graffiti. Here's here's a few examples. I remember one of them very specifically. Which one? It was like, Velamina, let me into your warm triangle or something like that. Yeah. I can't well, remember what it the is. The very first one is Restatuna. Yes, Restatuna. Take off your tunic, please, and show me your hairy privates. Yes. These are actual graffiti <laughs> markings on walls preserved in Pompeii. Can we go back in time and someone in the 1980s write like a pop song, like a kicking guitar pop song called Restatuna? Because yeah. doesn't that yes. sound like a, yeah. you know, 8675309 kind of thing? Like, Restatuna! <laughs> Restatuna! <laughs> You're a tuna that needs a resta. Resta, 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 Restatuna. Oh, wow. You're dead because a volcano blew up in your face. Wow. That was something. Yeah, it was something. That All was. Right. Uh, Remember this one? This was on the house of a, a wall of a brothel. It said, "Weep, you girls! My penis has given you up. It now penetrates men's behinds." <laughs> That's right. Goodbye, wondrous femininity. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a bar it says, "We two dear friends, friends forever, were here. If you want to know our names, they are Gaius." And Alus. See, they were in a place where everybody knew their names. No, no. Sometimes you wanna go where <laughs> everybody knows your name. All the songs are the same chord progression as somewhere over the rainbow. <coughs> oh, no. All right. Anyway, the box what? of oddities. The musical. In the house of Pascius Hermes was written, watch it, you that shits in this place. May you have Jove's anger if you ignore this. 
Wow, more defecating. <laughs> sounds like sure. maybe someone had had a few to drink maybe. because maybe. that doesn't entirely make sense. It looks, it sounds like uh, someone's magnetic poetry threw up. <laughs> wow, more defecating. <laughs> and of course, the plaster bodies. We've all seen the pictures. Now, when these poor people were totally buried in ash, they're, they, of course, died, and then their bodies decayed, leaving this perfect mold inside of the rock, inside mm. the stone. Giuseppe Fiorelli took charge of the excavations in 1863, and he noticed this. He's the one that realized that these spaces left were left by decomposed bodies. So he devised a technique of injecting plaster into them to recreate the forms of the Vesuvius's victims. The technique is still used today with a clear resin instead of plaster, but the plaster remnants of the Vesuvius victims contain the bones of the dead. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because they would have filled the, yeah, the, the crevasse sure. left by that. Wow. Now, we've learned a lot about the population of Pompeii because of these plaster bodies. For example, they reveal that uh, many children had syphilis. Oh. Surviving until the age of 10, according to Ranker, in Pompeii would have been a feat as a child. Because children often died from infectious diseases and lack of proper treatment. Um, you can you know, see it in their enamel teeth. But the telltale signs of the bones of a pair of young male twins point to congenital syphilis. And that was not uncommon by any means. Many scientists previously believed that Columbus and his sailors brought syphilis back to Europe... After sailing to America, this proves the disease existed in Europe for more than a thousand years before then. Yeah, I don't think that that's a surprise to most people. The bodies also sh show signs of a pyroclastic surge death wave. You often see pictures of these bodies uh, or, you know, the plaster... Um, replications of how the bodies were posed when they died in a fetal position. Mm. That is due to extreme cadaveric spasm when the body's muscles instantly contract from extreme dehydration. So this blast of hot air oh. and ash just whoosh went through the city and people just went like a shrimp. Almost like... Um uh, like an a like a bomb yeah. might um, move through and just take people down right. and just affects in different ways. So in this case, it was the heat that and crack patterns in the skeletons lend further proof to the theory that people from Pompeii died from the heat, not from the suffocation. Oh, jeez! In many cases, except down along the waterfront, that was the last area of refuge for a lot of the citizens. They ran down to what were the boathouses. Mm. And you see a lot of the plaster casts of people in the boathouse that appear to be cuddling or Huddled sleeping. together. Yeah. CAT scans are correcting our old assumption about these bodies. Modern CAT scans. People during the Victorian era loved a good drama, of course. So when Fiorelli's team began piecing together the story of Pompeii, many people created stories for the bodies based on 
little or no evidence. For example, there's the pregnant woman who was consumed by hot ash while embracing her lover. Modern CAT scans have debunked some of the most dearly held of these unfounded tales. The pregnant woman wasn't pregnant, and she probably wasn't a she. <laughs> the The two maidens were both men, and they uh, probably never knew that we, we will never know the true relationship, uh, nature of their relationship. Victorian stories for the figures, they're certainly interesting, but they are not grounded in any kind of fact. She wasn't pregnant it was a dude who, for whatever reason, was larger in that area, and he was cuddled with another dude. So maybe, like, be, like had a little beer belly. Yeah. And it was just, okay. Yeah. Well, I say if you're going to be consumed by the hellfire of a volcano, <laughs> have a few drinks first. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll leave you with, and this is a good thing. People from Pompeii had excellent dental hygiene. Really? Except for the children who had syphilis. Who had syphilis. You're sure. right. If you made it past 10, you had good dental hygiene. They lived thousands of years before the advent of you know water picks or any kind of modern dentistry. Experts didn't find a single cavity in their teeth. That's pretty shocking. Mount Vesuvius erupted before processed sugar, sugar was invented. So there you go. Mm. They had perfect teeth. Their diet was high in fiber, protein, and fruits. Combined with the high levels of fluorine in the air and water made for mouths free of cavities. And here's an awesome picture that you should post this on the social media of a dead plaster guy with his teeth showing. Check this out. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. And I wrote a little song about him. It goes like this. Dead plastic guy with his teeth out. Dead plastic guy with his teeth out. His teeth are out and he's a plaster guy. Wow. Thank you. Good night. And now, that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle, once again, trolling our freaks uh, group on Facebook. A question from Sonia. She asks, what's the weirdest or most interesting job you've ever had? And so many people replied with amazing stuff. Number five, aircraft mishap investigator. When there was a crash, I got to sort through the mechanical and sometimes human debris, audio evidence and maintenance records to try to uh, help piece together what had taken place. Definitely interesting, but extremely grim at times. John wrote that. Number four, Sarah writes, I used to work at a hearing aid company. I made the plastic part that fits in people's ear. They sent in early molds that were custom made. They sent them in with whatever earwax was stuck oh, on them as oh, well, oh. which was often a lot. Number three, Aurora said, I sold perfume for a pyramid scheme of a company that put me inches from death or abduction on a daily basis. My poor mother. On a positive note, I can sell cologne in Spanish, and I can talk my way out of a lot of things. Good for you, Aurora. Number two, Hannah writes, I worked at a prevalent Midwestern sex shop chain. I had recently taken a human sexuality class, so I was excited to help with people's sexual health. Unfortunately, 
They were still stuck in that 1970s novelty sex toys mindset (laughs) rather than the ones that were actually good for your sexual health. The funniest toy they ever had was a blueberry-shaped butt plug aptly named Assberries. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, has anybody ever thought of uh, an adult toy store chain called Kingdom Come? I'm sure. Probably. And number one, Anna writes, not exactly strange, but my first job was in a bakery where I was instructed to scrape dough remnants from the floor. I was 14 and only lasted one week. I hope they didn't make you put them back in the mix and No, they did not. No. They did not. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. 
Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. I really love how people will send us messages and tell us how far along they are in our series of shows. I think this is like the 182nd show we've done. Wow. Is that even possible? We got a message from Amy, who said, I finally made it to episode 100 today. On on number 95, you said fart mist. We were talking about, I think, you know, shower flatulence. Yep. And someone wrote in later and said that their friend calls it farticles. Yeah, that's what this is the one. Amy wrote this in. Oh, she oh. said, <laughs> she said her, co- her friend and coworker calls them farticles. I just felt you two freaks needed to hear that word. Yes. I enjoy fart mist, but farticles wins. That's the thing is multiple times over the past few days, the term farticles has popped into my head. Really? And I have a little chuckle because it's particles of fart in the air. Right. It's farticles. So Neil Harbison, born in 1984, he's a Spanish-raised, Northern Irish-born cyborg artist and trans-species activist based in New York City. That's the first part of his Wikipedia page, in case you're curious. I'm listening. (laughs) So Harbison is the son of a Spanish mother and a Northern Irish father, and he was born with a very extreme type of colorblindness, which has a name, and that (laughs) results in him seeing completely in grayscale. Acromatopsia? That sounds right. Yep. I need to just say things and leave the question mark off the end of them. Say it like you you, you know what you're talking about and then move on. Okay. He was born with an extreme form of colorblindness called acromatopsia. Anyway, he don't see colors. And uh, he grew up in Barcelona where he was studying piano and he began to compose at the age of 11. He was a very artistic child. At 16, he studied fine art at the Institute Alexandre Satoros in Spain. And there he was given special permission to work without color, which is very cool. Interesting. Yeah. So he considers his natural worldview to be an asset. Um, He was talking with uh, National Geographic about how some of the things that come with being colorblind, essentially, are actually advantages. Like, he is never fooled by camouflage. (laughs) Okay. Sure. I never thought about that. But yeah. yeah. Okay. (laughs) But he said that he did, as an artist, he wanted to understand different dimensions to sight. And so 
Over the last 13 years, he has been able to hear visible and invisible wavelengths of light. So an antenna-like sensor has been implanted in his head, and it translates different wavelengths into vibrations onto his skull, and then he perceives the sound. That's incredible. So he kind of has this anglerfish look going on. So this sensor comes out of his head and over his head mm. and kind of sits in front of his forehead. Kind of uh, like a flock of seagulls lead singer. Right, but with a sensor instead of uh, wavy locks. He, okay, he's known as being the first person in the world with an antenna implanted in his skull. Wow. And he is legally recognized as a cyborg by the government. That's incredible. Now, he's able to perceive these different vibrations on his skull, but mm -hmm. that doesn't translate to color in his brain. No, but he has learned what the vibrations mean Ooh. and what we call Yellow. the colors that meet those vibrations. That's in Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. He said in that interview with National Geographic, there's no difference between the software in my brain or my antenna or any other body part. Being united to cybernetics makes me feel that I am the technology. Wow. Which is pretty incredible. Um, he stated, quote, my aim was never to overcome anything. Seeing in grayscale has many advantages, like I was talking about. He said he had better night vision. He was able to, um, he's always been able to memorize shapes more easily than the uh, person who sees in color. Hmm. Um, and he said black and white photocopies are cheaper. <laughs> so that was an advantage. <laughs> sure. Sure. But he said that he wanted to create a new organ for seeing. Um, he actually ended up creating the Cyborg Foundation, which is an online platform for the research, development, and promotion of projects related to the creation of new senses and perceptions by applying technology to the human body. It's incredible. It's super tech. It's so neat. It's just neat. So, cyborg. A cyborg is short for cybernetic organism, and it's being both organic and bio whatever. You know, like not organic. And the term was coined in 1960. And the difference between like a cyborg and this is something that I just thought was interesting and I wanted to understand better. Uh the difference between like a cyborg, an android, or a robot. Uh, so in general, there's no reason that a robot or a cyborg must appear human, but an android by definition appears similar to a human. So cyborgs are human-robot hybrids, and you can think of a cyborg as a person with at least a few robot parts. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Um, Jesse Sullivan is another cyborg person. Uh, he is a pioneer, really, in this respect. He is one of the world's first cyborgs. He was equipped with a bionic limb, and that's connected through a nerve muscle graft. His bionic arm, which is a prototype developed by the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, differs from most other prosthesis in that it does not use like pull cables or um, what are called nub switches to function. Instead, they use microcomputers. Wow. So... Sullivan can control his limb with his mind. His brain has been connected to the microcomputers Shut in such right a way so that up. when he th 
So when he thinks like, you know, clench fist, his hand will clench. It's just it's it's been connected in such a way so that amazing that robot arm will do what his brain says do robot arm. There are a few things I wouldn't trust that with, though. Oh, yeah. Like very intricate surgical procedures. Sure, sure, sure. And other things. Yeah. Not only can Sullivan control his new limb with his mind, he can also feel, quote unquote, hot and cold. No, he can't. And the amount of pressure that his grip is applying. Liar. <laughs> uh, Claudia Mitchell is the first woman to be outfitted with a bionic arm. She also got her arm from the Rehabil- Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, and it's one of the most advanced prosthetic arms developed to date. Jens Nauman was born with eyesight, uh, but he lost it completely after two separate accidents, both of which involved pieces of metal flying into his eyes, destroying his vision. His left eye he lost as a teenager, and then his right eye he lost in his 20s. Wait, so yeah. two separate metal flying into the eyeball incidents. Yes. What's, what did he do for a living, or what, why? Why? I don't, I don't know the specifics about how he lost his sight, just that it was two different accidents. That's got to suck. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you worked in a, in a metal working shop, okay, maybe the odds of that happening are a little more significant. <laughs> but if you're just a dude, you know... <laughs> oh, not again. <sighs> well, anyway, he began to uh, uh, manage with his blindness, and he started tuning and repairing pianos. Uh, he farmed. He used guide wires that he used while tilling the fields, and he cut firewood and installed an off-grid power system on his farm. So he was doing really, really well. Cool. But then he learned about an opportunity to try out this new fancy surgery that was available at a... Cybernetics research facility? I was just going to say place. Okay. In Portugal. And he was chosen as one of the first people that this um, new technology would be tried on. He was very excited about it, as he should be. Um, So what happened were uh, jacks go into his eyes and they combine with a computer and a camera and some electrodes in his brain um, to give him sight. As good as if he had seeing functional Eyes? Well, I have seen functional eyes, but they're garbage. Well, that's so, true. So, I mean, I guess there's a pretty big range there. Does he have like superpower eyesight? He doesn't have like superpower eyesight. X-ray eyes? eyes. <laughs> no, it's um, it's not superpower eyesight for sure. He started to see dots of lights and then they started to form shapes. Wow. And then he could see well enough that he could drive a car. Oh, shut up. Yeah. But it lasted for about eight weeks. Oh, The biggest problem facing the patients who had had this procedure was that the the lead doctor uh, was ill, and the technology and his methodology was kind of like, you know, it was groundbreaking. And as he wasn't able to take care of these patients... There was no follow-up. There was no follow-up. Oh, man. And then he died. Oh, that's got to suck. So after a little while of just the gradual loss of his eyesight again, and then just not having any eyesight at all, um, he 
tried to find other people who could help him recover the eyesight, and eventually he just stopped looking, and he had the jacks removed from his skull oh. uh, in 2010 as they were they were made of titanium and they weren't meshing with his body well. Um, he said that he lost his sight, yes, for a second time, uh, but it was more profound to him the second time mm-hmm. because it seemed permanent this time. And I guess um, he said that when he lost his sight at first, everyone knew it. And part of it, when he lost that the second time, he just didn't have any hope anymore about it. But he ended up writing a book and he's doing well now. It's just... It, the the concept that he might have sight again isn't something that he lives with now. It's, it's amazing that, that this doctor slash researcher conducted this groundbreaking work. And even though he died, somebody else hasn't picked it up and run with it. It does seem uh, strange, for sure. Um, there's a story in thewig.com called Man's High-Tech Paradise Lost, and it is the story of Jens Nauman and wow. his uh, losing his sight twice, or I guess three times. That's incredible. Wow. Anyway, those are cyborgs. I love cyborgs. I wish now that I had moved the stories around so that the guy losing his sight. Wasn't so the, anyway, there's this artist, and he's got a sensor, an antenna that comes out of his head, and now he can, he can hear feel, colors. Hear and feel colors. The end. The end. Fascinating. In fact, I wrote this song called Cyborgs Are Awesome. Cyborgs are awesome. They are so awesome. That's why they call them Cyborgs. Wow. We got to karaoke that one time, and now you just got the itch, huh? Oh, my God. I, wa- I rewatched that video of me doing Boys Are Back in Town. It's yeah. horrific. You feel really why, good about it? Why did you let me do this? You, you seem to really want to. No, I was being bullied, and you went along with it. I didn't say anything. I, I was not doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. enjoyed my onion rings and went home with my dignity. Except for the fact that I ate all those onion rings. I left the bloody corpse of my once promising career hanging on the wall of that particular establishment. Any hoozle. Your once promising career as a lounge singer? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's it. We're done. Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope that you'll hang out with us again soon. Yeah. Even after listening to this episode. (laughs) We'll, We'll see you then. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to to beseech you for assistance. The box of oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. 
Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.